Well, good morning. Welcome to week two of a series uh, that we're calling The Beast, the Dragon, and the Empire. Now, if you're a guest, we're really glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Revelation. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible, and over the course of the summer, we're working our way all the way through uh, the book of Revelation to try and understand what it means for our life today. And so we're right in the middle of the book of Revelation, literally the chapter's in the middle, where uh, John, the, the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus who wrote the book of Revelation, uses all these, uh, these images, beasts, dragons, empires, and, and we're learning what it understands for, uh, means for us today. So I want to invite you to uh, stand with me if you would, and I'm going to read this passage of scripture out loud. As you stand up, turn to your neighbor and say to them, I'm joining the resistance today. Okay, I'll read it aloud. This is from the book of Revelation chapter 12. There it is on the screen. This is what Pastor John says to us. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's his image, John's image for the, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I want to do my best today to try and teach you uh, what the Bible teaches about Satan. And I want to talk specifically to you about how, in your life and in your experience as a human being how you can resist Satan. I want to invite you to join the resistance. Now, uh, maybe one of the most successful movies, uh, movie franchises of all time probably is, I don't know the exact numbers, by dollars that have been spent uh, or, or profit that's been earned on the movie franchise is Star Wars. Any Star Wars, Star Wars fans, right? Uh, I asked in the first service, how many of you have never seen Star Wars? Uh, wow. Let's pray for all these people right now. Let's just pause. My gosh. Well, it's one of the most popular, <laughs> obviously not that popular because none of you have seen it. Uh, so the storyline is that there is this empire, this evil empire, and uh, what makes the story work is not that the empire wins, not that the empire is powerful, but that there is a resistance. And the character Luke Skywalker is the kind of the, uh, the key figure uh, that points us... Uh, to how they join the resistance and how that all works. And um, the resistance, those are the people who are willing to risk it all to be free. So how would you like to risk it all if it meant your freedom? That's the question that we're asking uh, ourselves today. Now, I know as we talk about this, we're talking about Satan, and even when I say that, uh, that you kind of immediately are lumped into two categories. I don't, I don't like to put people in either or categories, but in, in this instance, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, you're either in the category of you don't know uh, about 
Satan, and, and you don't know on, on maybe one of, of two levels. One, uh, you don't know if Satan even exists. You kind of say, well, and you know, we're in the modern world. How could someone in the modern world that we live in believe in a personal uh, being of evil that's out to get the whole world? How could you, how could you even possibly think that? Uh, we were in Chicago yesterday, and uh, I was just kind of, we were walking around family in town, and we were walking around seeing all the, the money, all of the luxury, all of the beauty uh, that is downtown Chicago, all of the uh, amazing buildings and architecture. And, and if you saw only that in the world, and we went into the Apple store that's down on the riverfront, it's just a beautiful building, and uh, we, we went in there, and, and, and if you saw only that, you might say, well, how in a world where you have those kinds of things, how in the, that kind of a world could there be a, a personal devil? Come on, really. Uh, so you may, not, uh, you may not agree that there could be a personal devil because in the West we're really, really resistant to that idea. Uh, and I would just suggest to you, though, that your context in the world determines what you think about whether or not there is a, a devil or a personified evil in some way. Because if I were to take you to other parts of the city of Chicago or places around the world where three or so billion people, half of the basically population of our planet, live in absolutely terrible situations, you probably would say, like most of them say, there has to be evil in this world. There has to be some personified evil. I just would suggest to you, if you're in the camp of saying, I don't know if a devil exists, right? I'm pretty sure a devil doesn't exist, uh, that it might be your context that you live in that determines more than you think your perspective on, on that, that thing. Now, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to say I'm an apologist for the devil. You know what an apologist is? An apologist is someone who promotes or, and defends a certain idea. I'm not an apologist for the devil. I'm not trying to convince you uh, about the devil. I, I, I hope, I would think, you wouldn't want there to be a devil. I don't want there to be a devil. Um, the reason that I say I think there is a devil is because of Jesus. I follow Jesus, this guy named Jesus, and Jesus, who rose from the dead, we say as Christians, he said that there was a personified person, a, a real person that embodies evil named Satan or the devil. And if you come back from the dead, I'll agree with anything that you say, okay? <laughs> but because Jesus came back from the dead and he said that, I'm just going to go with that guy, right? If you got something better when you come back from the dead, I'll go ahead and agree with what you say. But even if you say, well, I don't I just, don't, I just can't get in gear with that. Can you at least agree that there seems like there are forces that are allied against us in our life? Does it ever seem to you in your life like things are at times just extra difficult and like you're fighting something and you don't know what it is? Is it just me that's ever felt that way? You ever felt like that? in life, like, like this is contested ground. That's actually the picture of the Bible is that this is contested ground that we live in. We know who wins in the end, but right now it's contested ground. There's this guy, his name William Ockham, uh, probably four, 500 years ago, he came up with this principle uh, that's used today by science and philosophy to determine uh, what to do when you don't know what to do, and it's called Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is this, is that the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Not always, but usually the right one. So I say this, if it seems like there is a force that is against you, preventing you and trying to will your harm, then it's probably the case that there is a force that is against you, right? That's the simplest possible explanation of it. And um, Jesus says it like this. He says, listen, you have an enemy 
that enemy is out to wage war against you. This is how John says it in Revelation chapter 12. He says, the dragon was enraged at the woman, that's Mary, that's the Christmas story, I'll get to that in a second, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 10.10. He said he called him the thief. He said, the thief comes, what's the word there? Only, say it again, only to steal and kill and destroy. In other words, the thief's mission is your destruction. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Now, and if you don't know this, then you won't know what you need to know. You know? You picking up what I'm saying? And, and if you didn't know that someone was actively trying to hurt you and you remained unaware, then you would stumble into traps. Okay? So you, maybe you're in that category if you don't know. Stick with me. Now, on the other hand, you may know, but you m- may be unaware of the plans of the enemy against you. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, we're not unaware of his schemes. The word there is his strategy or the things that you can come to expect, the behavior uh, that you know is coming. Uh, and, and what John is saying is that we're to resist that. In fact, he, the word he uses is to triumph. Some translations say overcome uh, the evil one. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about how you can do that, how you can overcome and resist evil in your life. So is anybody in game Anybody game for that? Or is it me? Okay, all right. So here's what Pastor John does, who's written this letter, uh, the book of Revelation. What he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain in Revelation chapter 12 and 13 and following on evil, and he's telling us what it's like behind the curtain. Now, if you've ever uh, listened to an actor talk about uh, playing the role of the devil in a movie, and the devil's been played in, in multiple movies, Um, What they'll always tell you is that the devil is the most interesting character in the movie, the easiest to play and the most interesting character. And what John is doing is he's pulling back the curtain and saying, I know this looks interesting, but let me show you what's behind the curtain. And so he uses this metaphor that we all understand uh, of a dragon. A dragon is a monster, a beast that's ready to rip your heart out and burn you alive, right? If there were real dragons that flew around, what are they, if you saw a dragon flying toward you as you're going out to your car today, what are you going to do? You're not going to be like, oh, what a cute little dragon. That's what a great, I love those little dragons. No, you're going to run because you're afraid of the big talons. They're going to rip you apart and the, the breath is going to come out like fire. And, and so sometimes people will come and they'll say, hey, what do you think about the occult? And what do you think about things like Ouija boards and those kinds of things? And, and I just say, well, why? Why would you, if there was a monster that you would stir up, why would you do that just for fun? I, I don't even get that. So just don't. And so uh, John in Revelation chapter 12 tells us basically behind the curtain what's going on. Now, if, if you've never read Revelation 12, I encourage you to read it later this afternoon and when you go home. And what you're going to discover in Revelation 12, 1 is this is John's retelling of the Christmas story. This is, there's the dragon and a woman who's in birth, giving ready to give birth to a child, and the dragon's waiting for the child to be born, but the woman is snatched away. It's Mary and Joseph who are snatched away to Egypt, and, and the woman gives birth to a child who will, John says, 
rule the nations with an iron scepter. It's a Christmas story. Now, you, when, you, when you know that and you go back and read Revelation chapter 12, you're going to go, oh, well, of course, that's exactly, uh, exactly what he's talking about. And he says, this dragon is so angry that his, with his tail, he swept uh, a third of the stars out of heaven. Again, this is a metaphor. And what he's saying is, uh, in Jewish thought, uh, stars were considered to be angels. And so it, it, he's taking a third of heaven with him, a third of his angels who are now his demons and his, who do his bidding. And, and, and he, he says, that devil was cast to earth. So he says it like this in verse 9. He says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we lived in Omaha, Nebraska in my elementary school years, and my dad pastored a church in Omaha, Nebraska. And at one point, the building, we were moving from one part of town to an entirely different part of town uh, as where we would be located on a, on a Sunday morning. And in the meantime, uh, we met in a, uh, the, the basement, basically, of a, a strip mall. There was on the back side a, a lower level, and we rented out a space and renovated it and, and worshiped there for a couple years. And when you drove in, you could drive in both sides of the, the strip mall, but on the side where we met, um, between the driveway and here was a 7-Eleven. And, and, and I had a friend, his name uh, was, I'll call him Tom, because uh, he might be watching this. So we, we, one day, I'm probably nine, we're nine or ten, we've been over to each other's houses a lot and spent the night at each other's houses, and he was my, he was my best friend. I don't know why that day I knew something wasn't right, but he, he went to me, we were down there, I guess, on a Sunday, as, you know, we're getting nine or ten, and he says, hey, uh, let's go to 7-Eleven. Again, I don't know why I knew something wasn't right, uh, but I said, well, well what, do you, what do you want to do at 7-Eleven? And he said, I don't know, just look around. Now, I'm pretty sure you don't go to 7-Eleven just to look around, right? For fun. Do you get in the car and say, hey, guys, let's all go shopping? Do you get in the car and you find the nearest 7-Eleven you pull out? Guys, we're here. And you go in and you look around 7-Eleven. Is that what you do? Is that what your family does? Right? No. Okay, that's, that's not how it works. I somehow knew that he was trying to lead me astray. Sure enough, I said, hey, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go. And sure enough, not much longer, uh, some police officers walked him back down because when he looked around, he helped himself to some of the product. <laughs> when he was looking around, he was trying to lead me astray. And John is saying that on a cosmic level, Satan, the devil, is trying to lead the entire, in the entire world astray. And so he uses these words, devil and Satan and serpent and dragon, to tell us what, uh, what that, that being, that fallen angel, is like. The word devil there is the word uh, accuser, someone who accuses you of things, tells you what you've done wrong in a way that is meant to shame you and harm you. And then the word Satan is the word uh, kind of that would mean a condemner, a, a way you might think about that, is like a prosecuting attorney. If you know the story of Job in the Old Testament, in the first chapter of Job, Job is the story of a righteous man, and uh, chapter one starts with Satan coming to God and saying, hey, God, have you considered your servant Job? And Satan is there, the accuser, and comes and accuses Job, says, he's not going to trust you, no matter what you say, he's not going to trust you. He's like the prosecuting attorney, and so uh, John says Satan is a prosecuting attorney. He's digging up dirt on you, and he's causing you great pain by his condemnation. Now, what the Apostle Paul says, said when he said, listen, we're not unaware of his schemes. He's saying, listen, this is nothing new. 
This is always his strategy, and his strategy is always to accuse you and to condemn you. And if you don't know that, you'll be blind to what he's trying to do in your life. So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. So when he says uh, that he accuses you, well, when someone accuses you, what are they saying? They're saying that you've committed some things and or you've omitted some things. In other words, you've done some things and you've failed to do some things. And what the accuser does in your life is says, why did you do that? What's wrong with you? Uh, and what the accuser does is tells you that not that you just did a thing, but that you are that thing. So let's just say you know that you drink too much and uh, you know that it hurts the people around you and you want to stop and you just aren't really doing a great job of stopping. The accuser comes to you and doesn't say you took a drink again. What's that about? The the accuser comes to you and says, you're a drinker. You are that thing. You will always be that thing. You'll never beat this thing. Or maybe you struggle with telling the truth and it's hard for you to just be honest about things and so you always kind of bend the truth to your, your purposes. And so the accuser comes to you and doesn't say, you, 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 told, a, you told a lie there. Now what, what was that about? The accuser comes to you and says, you're a liar. Or maybe you always take the shortcut. You always cheat. It's just a little easier for you. You'd like to do the right thing, but I mean, this isn't a convenient way to get what you want. And so the accuser doesn't come to you and say, hey, you cheated right there. The accuser comes to you and says, you're a cheater, right? You didn't lose. You're a loser. You're nobody. What's the effect that this has in your life when the accuser comes up against you with this? You either give up, never going to get this right or you give in i guess that is what i'm always going to be i guess i'm always going to do that i'm always going to struggle with that i mean I just... what's happened in the words of jesus the thief has just stolen from you your life now you got to distinguish this is very important right here you got to distinguish this from the work of the holy spirit god said that the, jesus said that the holy spirit would come and would convict the world of sin meaning point out very specifically things that are not working and so when the holy spirit comes to you about those things the holy spirit comes to you with a voice of hope and the holy spirit says okay you took a drink again you and i can overcome that together The accuser comes to you and says, you'll never beat this. You will always struggle with this. This will always be your problem because that's what you always are. And then, uh, then what he does is when he accuses, after he accuses you, and that, maybe that doesn't work, maybe you're, maybe you're resilient against that, but then what he does, he comes and he condemns you. In other words, heaps shame on you until you break. In January, we did a series on the Me Too thing and we talked uh, one time about the woman caught in adultery. It's a famous story in the Gospel of John uh, about this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And conveniently, the man is left behind, but the woman's brought out. And everyone takes the role of the accuser and the condemner, and they say she's caught, she's exposed, and she's guilty, and they try to condemn her, and they try to stone her. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not, I'm not when they all leave, he says, I'm not here to condemn you. Now go and sin no more. But when we have the voice of condemnation, the voice that says we're never enough, we, we either quit or we believe the story about us, or, or worse, what happens, people, happens to people all the time is they believe it on the inside, but they put on a face on the outside that says everything's okay. That's maybe even more damaging because they're not being honest. 
And in the words of Jesus, what happens is the thief lies to you and you believe the lie about yourself. I'm a worthless piece of trash. I'm always going to do that. I'm never going to get past this. So here's what John says. He's saying, listen, accusing and condemning you, this is the strategy of the enemy. And if he can do this to you, what happens is he keeps you isolated and alone. And what happens is you wallow in your choices and in your shame. And again, in the words of Jesus, this is the thief who has now effectively destroyed your life. But notice what John said. This is the, this is the mega dragon. This is the big dragon. That The dragon is hurled down. And this, is, this is the word uh, that is used in the Gospels when Jesus meets an evil spirit, one of those third of the angels that are fallen, and, and meets one of those spirits that's possessing a person, and he says to that person, be gone, and that person is cast out, thrown out, hurled down. It's the same word that's used of the dragon. Because listen, the message, the, the worst thing that could happen to you is never the last word from God's perspective. Never, ever. Never, ever. So this is what John says. So now, he's hurled that dragon down that's, that's out to accuse you and to condemn you. Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. And if you don't have, in other words, if you don't have power and you don't have, uh, understand that you've been rescued, you don't understand that you're under the protection of the king, you don't have things like authority in your life, you're living a beaten life and you're not living and, and, and a, a condemned and accused people have none of those things. All they have is their accusations and their condemnation. And John says you can live way above that. Way above that. So, here's the question. How do we resist? What do we have to do? Uh, Paul says in one of his letters to the Christians in Corinth, he says the weapons that we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. They have a different kind of power that helps us to demolish the things that are holding us down. So we don't fight the battle the same way Satan fights the battle with us. I mean, I guess you could get a t-shirt that says, suck it, Satan, but I don't know how that's going to help you. I mean, it's like... Go ahead. I don't. But here's what, here's what Pastor John tells us, okay? This is what he says. This is how you overcome. This is how you triumph. Listen. It's very important. Verse 11. They triumphed over him by three things. The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now listen. I want you to pay attention very carefully for the next 10 minutes because this could change your life. Notice what John doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, they came up with an incantation that cast out the evil spirits. No. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. He doesn't say they sent off on the internet for an anointed prayer cloth and that anointed prayer cloth would drive out all the evil spirits. He said, no, no. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. He doesn't say they, found it, they went and got holy water or talked to a priest or a pastor. He says, no, no, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So, if that's the case, it's super important that you know what those things are, right? What's the blood of the lamb? The blood of the lamb is Jesus crucified for you on the cross. So this is what it means. You better know what the cross means. You better know what it means for your life. You better know why Jesus put himself on it for you. Now, you're welcome. Two weeks ago, we did a message on the meaning of the cross. You can go back and watch that if you don't know. You can, you can go right there. But better yet, you better know that lamb, Jesus, personally. 
Because when you know the lamb personally, then you can shout for help anytime. Jesus! Listen, my kids don't understand me. (laughs) Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? They have no clue. They don't get what you can do. They don't understand what you're about. They don't understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. And in their view, you're just messing up their world, right? (laughs) They don't understand you. But guess what? Because my kids are personally connected to me, they personally know me. Whenever they're in trouble, they just have to shout my name. Dad! In the same way, John is saying, you need to know that the you need to know Jesus personally. Jesus! We went, uh, again, we went to Chicago yesterday, and uh, we rode the South Shore Line there, and we were going to ride the South Shore Line back, and we split up into uh, two groups of us, and I had my oldest son, and uh, we got there first, got to the train, and um, sat down on the train, and and by the end of the day, my phone had died, so I didn't really need to, you know, message and call, and and we were sitting there waiting for them to, to get there on the train, and we were holding the seats, and people were starting to fill up the train, and, and, and the train's leaving at 9.15, and it was 9 o'clock, and they weren't there, and then it was 9.11, and they weren't there, and it was 9.12, and, and we're both looking at each other, what are we going to do? What, what, we don't know what we're going to do. What, what's going to happen? And 9.13 comes, and I look in, I dump the contents of the bag I was carrying on my back out, and I realized we didn't have the keys for the van, because maybe I could drive, and then we'd drive back, and I'm like, oh no, what are we going to do? So I said, okay, let's just get off the train. We as we're getting off the train, the conductor's there. We said, can we just look real quick down and see if they're on the train and we'll hop right back on. He said, you better hurry. So we jump off at 9.14. As we jump off, we start to walk down and the train starts to move. And we go down and we look and in the last car, they had just gotten on and they're walking down the aisle. We're like, no! We're banging on the windows and I'm running to the train and my son, who's younger than me and faster than me, he's running, he's banging on the train his mom, uh, he was ahead of me. He's banging on the train. He looks in the window. He sees his mom. His mom only sees him, not me. And he comes back to me. He doesn't, he doesn't understand that we'll just take the next train. It was frustrating. and We'll just take the next train. It'll be all good. But you know who he knew that he could talk to? His dad. He knew me personally. And he was so scared. And he's, he's like, I thought I'd never see mom again. <laughs> it's just, he, as a kid, he didn't understand, right? He didn't have to understand all that. He just knew me personally. This is what John's saying. That you need to know that lamb personally. Jesus. And then he says that they overcame by the word of their testimony. In other words, they were submitting themselves to the purposes of Jesus in their life and their testimony about it to anyone who would listen, and they started with themselves. So you have to submit to the purposes of Jesus in your life and then be willing to tell anybody about it when it comes up. And, but then you've got to start with yourself. You know that when you've got to do anything, especially you've got to fight the enemy, that the place you always have to start is with you, that you're going to have to, you're to give a message, you're going to have to, give a me- you're going to preach a message to somebody, but the per- first person you've got to preach the message to is yourself. Did you know that? You always got to start with you. You've got to start right here on the inside. So that's the second thing. And then he says that they didn't love their lives so much that they're willing to lay them down. Listen, John's not telling us how to earn our salvation. Our salvation is earned for us by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. 
He's simply telling us how to fight the battle when it happens. So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about uh, submission. I, I love what James says in James uh, chapter 4. He says this about, about fighting the devil. Notice the order, okay? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Which of those is first? Submit to God, right? Normally we go, i got to resist the devil. No, he doesn't say that. He says you submit to God first and then you resist the devil. And honestly, the word submission is a dirty word to us. And the reason it's a dirty word to us is because we're thinking about a power struggle and not about empowerment, which is what God's thinking about. Because here's what submission is. Submission is coming under the mission of somebody else. Submission. You see that? You, you come under the mission of someone else. Here what John's saying is, or what James is telling us, is that our life has to come under the mission of God. And so he leads and we follow. He says and we go. He nudges and we move. He's in charge and we're not. And when we're under his authority, that also means that we have his power. It's when you submit yourself and your entire life to God that the real adventure begins. Because until then, you're just on your own mission, and frankly, that's why it's not really going that well for you. So what you have to do is you have to adopt the attitude of a missionary. Let's say you walked out of here, and it was so clear to you as you were walking out the doors that God had called you to be a missionary in Guatemala. You don't know why Guatemala, but you go, okay, God, I'll go be a missionary in Guatemala. You move to Guatemala. When you go to Guatemala, the only thing on your mind when it comes to everything that you do is you have been sent there by God to love the people, care for the people, and let them know about the God that loves them. That's the only thing on your mind. And so when you go get a job in Guatemala, that's what's on your mind. When you find a house in Guatemala, that's what's on your mind. When you adopt hobbies, that's what's on your mind. When you go take a vacation, that's what's on your mind. When you build relationship, that's what's on your mind. Because you have submitted yourself to a purpose bigger than you, and your entire life is about some other purpose other than the one you're living in right now. And most of us, we can, okay, well, if I went to Guatemala, of course I'd do that. But we don't think to apply that to our life right now, where we live right now. That the job that we go to and the hobbies that we have and the relationships that we have and the things that we do can all be submitted to a greater purpose. And that we're to submit ourselves to God. We're to start in a place of submission. And so when, when we get down and the, the devil's against us, we say, no, 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 I have submitted myself to God. My life is not about me, devil. Uh-uh. It's about something bigger. And so then, then James tells us that we have to resist the devil. You have to stand up against. You have to join the resistance. So when the devil comes against us and he accuses us, what we do is we resist the accusation with the blood of the Lamb, the Jesus on the cross for us. We, we remind ourselves and we remind the devil that Jesus on the cross paid for all of that stuff that he's accusing us for. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalm 103. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far. <laughs> that, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. If I got and I started walking east, and I walked as far east as I could to the, the shores of um, Virginia. And then I got in a boat and I went across the ocean and I got to Africa and I got in a car and a train and a plane. And I, and I kept going east. I kept going east. I kept going east. Guess where I would never get? I would never get west. Why? Because I'd always be going east. 
That's how far. If I went west and I tried to go west, I would never get east. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from. So when the devil comes and he says, listen, you will always be that thing. Oh, no, I will not. Oh, no, I will not. That has been removed from me. And I can't ever get back to it again in Jesus' eyes. Then you, you resist the word of condemnation with the word of grace. If, you, if you've been here before, you know that at the end of the service, we always give you this blessing. Where we get that from is in the scriptures. There are all these blessings that are given, good words that are spoken over. We need, all need good words spoken over us. So there, throughout the Bible are scenes of people giving blessings. And one of my favorite is in Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul is leaving some Christians where he's helped start a church and help people begin to know the love of God. And, and he gives this beautiful blessing in Acts 20. We'll put it on the screen. He says, and now I, I commend you to God and to the word or the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So when the devil comes to me and says, I'm, you're nobody, you're nothing, you'll always be a loser, you'll never get this right, you go, oh, no, 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 I know about the grace of God, I've heard the word, I've heard the message about God's grace, that I'm his dearly loved son, I'm his dearly loved daughter, he loved me so much that he put himself on a cross for me, he, I matter to him, I belong to him, he's my dad. That doesn't even count anymore. And then, then James says, and then he will flee. Then he will flee. Well, uh, I thought, you know, it kind of makes sense for us uh, if we're going to talk about the blood of the lamb that we, we would take the Lord's Supper, which symbolizes the blood of the lamb. And so uh, we're going to end today by, uh, by taking um, communion together. And as you come down, I, I, want you to, uh, I want you to come down prayerfully, okay? You don't have to do this. But as you come down, what I want you to, to remember is that the blood of the lamb was spilled for you. And so you can know the lamb personally and anytime you need. Jesus, you don't, you don't have to understand it all. Maybe it doesn't make all, like, what, how does that all work? You, don't, you just have to know the lamb personally and what the lamb did for you applies. <laughs> And then you have to say, okay, but by the word of my testimony, then in other words, I'm going to submit my life to you, God, and I'm going to have a story to tell because I've submitted my life to you, and I'll tell anybody about that story, what, the journey that God has me on. If I could sum that, what John, what John is telling us up in three words, it would be, Jesus, I submit. Would you say that with me? Jesus, I submit. One more time. Jesus, I submit. So I'm going to have you stand right now, if you would. I'm going to pray for you. They're going to sing, and as you come down in a moment, I want you to take the bread and remember that the body of Christ was broken for you. Dip it in the cup, and remember that the blood of Christ was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. The blood of the Lamb, this is how you'll overcome. It's the crucified Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. That's how you'll overcome the enemy. I want you to take it and eat it and be thankful. And then we have cards down here that say, Jesus, I submit. And if you're brave enough, I want you to take one. I want you to take it home. I want you to put it on your mirror. And every morning when you're brushing your teeth and every night when you're brushing your teeth, you pray that prayer. Oh, Jesus, I submit. I submit. I want to overcome. I submit. I want to triumph. I submit. And the devil, James promises us, will flee. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have overcome that the, worst, uh, the worst message that someone has given us, the worst word of condemnation, the most accusing thing, 
God, we admit that we certainly could be accused all day long because of what we've done. But on the cross, you've paid for what we've done. You've reconciled us to you by what you've done on the cross for us. And so we know that's not the last word. That may be the enemy's word, but it's not your word. You have the word of grace for us. And so we want to receive that today. So Jesus, we want to be people who triumph over the accuser and the condemner. So we take great confidence from the blood of the Lamb and we submit ourselves to you so that our story, our testimony is about our submission to you. And we say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Come forward and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper.